The remedy for bad religion might just be beautiful music. The hymns and songs of the church played and sung by people of faith. Thank you, Mark and Bennett. Religion is in the air. Can you feel it? There is a palpable sense of the importance of organized religion, even in a society that is rapidly becoming secular. At this very moment, religious people groups in the United States are seen as among the most important demographics in American secular politics. And the Christian church is being manipulated as a pawn in the partisan process. The strategic politicization of God always makes for bad religion. And too many people just have no idea they are being used by the system. There is religion in the air in our nation. And on November 13th, 2015, just before I preached this sermon, in a series of coordinated attacks in Paris, eight madmen shouted, Allahu Akbar, God is great, as they joyfully killed 130 people and took their own lives, believing that murderous death was the door to paradise. If they wanted press for their bloody God, it's hard to imagine better marketing. Allah is known worldwide these days. They say there's no such thing as bad, bad news when it comes to media. So word of a vengeful God and a hateful religion garnered worldwide headlines with this attack. It filled the air of television airtime and circled the cyber globe that week above all other tweets and posts. If making their God known is the point, they are succeeding. If terror is the game, they know how to play it. Since 9-11, there have been too many incidents like that sad attack in Paris, too many to number. Death in the name of God, it's sad to see. In her book entitled Christianity After Religion, Diana Butler Bass calls the first decade of the 21st century the horrible decade for religion. She describes it as the worst 10-year period the church has ever endured. A decade later, it seems, it only continues. She says 10 incidents shook the worldwide church in that first decade. Bass says the attacks of 9-11, while associated with Islamic extremism, are not unlike the sex scandal among Catholic priests and eight other events that she outlines. They impugn religion itself. Bad religion is the bane of good religion. Now, Park Road Baptist Church does not practice extremism, nor are we a Muslim community, but by the logic of association, all religion is the same. Your ministers do not wear Catholic vestments, have not taken priestly vows from Rome, but by the logic of association, all clerics are the same. If any are to be questioned, we all are to be questioned. Sadly, it's not like Christianity needs suicide bombers in the name of God to do their dirty work. The church has been on the path of self-directed implosion for several decades. In March, 
of 2018, the Dallas Morning News reported on the story that was then storming the country. Her name was Stormy Daniels. In an interview with the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, one of the largest evangelical congregations in the nation, Robert Jeffress, one of today's most prominent voices in American Christianity, Jeffress said, evangelicals still believe in the commandment, thou shalt not have sex with a porn star. However, whether this president violated that commandment or not is totally irrelevant to our support of him. Yes, Christianity knows bad religion too. The wounds run wide, cut deep, and are slow to heal. Some are terminal. I will never recover from Robert Jeffress's statement. After decades of preaching the necessity of personal morality for political service, the utter shameless partisanship of this spokesman for evangelicals has quite simply redefined the word hypocrisy. And if you think Park Road Baptist Church is not damaged by such an abdication of morality, you just do not know. Many people have no idea there is any difference between First Baptist Dallas, Texas and Park Road Baptist Church. We're all the same. Thanks to Jeffress, as the world sees us, we're now all vacuous, too happy to abandon any of our obviously hollow preaching for political expediency, a little power, a moment of fame. Mistrust and irrelevance are a deadly combination. And it seems there is a new Pew Research Center poll each month charting the swelling number of church dropouts. Can you be surprised? There are now two identifiable groups of nuns in the United States. Some wear habits, like Julie Andrews' War in The Sound of Music. The other group of nuns spells their descriptive title like the emptiness of the American soul some of them represent. They loudly, often haughtily, celebrate their religious affiliation with conviction. We have none. Those nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Those nuns are the fastest growing demographic in religious surveys. Simply put, it's a hard time to be the church. Before the pandemic, I walked into Chick-fil-A most mornings for a cup of joe and my daily dose of bad news, you know, in the newspaper print. I have a name there which started with one of the African-American supervisors whom I had met in a community meeting about race issues. Most of the employees don't actually know my name there, haven't connected me with this particular steeple, but following my friend Kenny, I'm just pastor to most of them. That's not something I asked to be called, not a title I particularly welcome. Invariably, someone raises an eye or just an eyebrow when they hear the greeting, Pastor, good morning. Like I had suddenly become a questionable relic in the corner, not just some guy reading the newspaper. But I do appreciate the simple respect which comes from a corner of the Christian community that still affords the clergy a little honor. Now, I'm not saying I want to be called pastor. I do not. Don't call me Pastor Russ. Russ is just fine. 
I'm just saying the relative absence of that form, that formal courtesy, represents, speaks of a loss to our culture. It used to be that people generally respected the church and its leaders, but that is mostly another relic of the past. Just another evidence that in too many ways the church has succumbed. Bad religion has won, you know, is there any other kind of religion? But here's what I want to say to you today, as strongly as I know how. Religion is not going away. Religion is not going away. As much as a growing identity of nuns might seem to indicate otherwise, as misguided and tragic as are the beliefs of the suicide bombers and the Robert Jefferses of this world, religion is not going away. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. I'm confident of this because the impulse that give, gives rise to religion is so deep. And it is found within every human being, whether specifically religious or not. Houston Smith an expert in comparative religion says the experience of all is the seed of religion. All religion begins just by saying, wow. Those moments our souls spill over the brim that cannot be captured in words. Maybe Mahler's first symphony or standing at Tallulah Gorge in northern Georgia, looking down a thousand feet at a cascading river surrounded by the splendor of fall colors. Wow. The world of insight and understanding that can open up in the rhythm of a well-crafted poem. The sound of a baby's coo and cry, her sweet smell, her tender need. Wow. All which is mystery in a moment's glance, may come in the ecstasy of sexual intimacy, in the simple kindness of one neighbor looking out for another, or the grief of overwhelming loss, staring into the abyss of death, contemplating the concept of nothingness. Wow. Like the joys of life, that too will take your breath away. All. That hint of mystery is the beginning of religion, and everybody experiences it. Now, the problem is that no mathematical formula can measure that experience, and you cannot literally define soul or spirit or God. The truth is the prophets and the poets of the world's great religious traditions have never tried to define God. Houston Smith says our fledgling, lumbering attempts to convey the experience of all gives rise to words which lead to the creation of doctrines. Properly understood, the words are just trying to point us back to the experience that gave rise to those words. Improperly understood, religious words can be deadly. If the words can point us to the original awe-inspiring, life-changing, ineffable, indescribable experience of God. They are powerful. But most people, 
in all religions get stuck on the words. The literal words are what matter to some people, or the literal words are archaic, so they are useless for other people. But it's not the literal words that matter. It's the experience to which they are trying to point us that matters. People speak in human language. So far, it's the best way we've discovered how to communicate. But people who really understand life and love and the mystery we call God, these people write, well, sometimes they write in poetry, which sometimes says as much in what it leaves out as in what it puts in. Scripture is filled with poetry. And visionaries and mystics tell stories because stories connect with us. We can relate to stories we are emotionally drawn to or repelled by the characters in stories because we too are characters. 2,500 years ago, a prophet in Babylon, a political prisoner, a religious refugee wrote to inspire his enslaved people. He essentially said to them, simply have hope, God is with us. But he used a strange language. He spoke of demons and angels. He wrote about beasts and strange events. Like making sense of today's political cartoons that use symbols we can understand, given the events that are unfolding around us, the people undergoing that persecution 2,500 years ago, those who read Daniel's visions, well, they understood his message. The genre is called apocalyptic literature. This form became a standard way to talk in persecution. John, later exiled on Patmos, writes a similar cryptic tale when his people were being massacred by a Roman tyrant named Nero. His dream, his vision, his revelation. Now the biblical book of Revelation was a source of deep hope for those people. But too many people get hung up on the literal words and they try to figure out who the beast was and connect it to their enemies today and they miss the good word of hope. Just before I wrote this sermon five years ago, a friend of ours who is resentful of, of religion, who uses Facebook as his medium to mock all things spiritual, had gone on a tirade against a blog post of Amy's when she warned that there's no place for fear in the life of faith. He wrote sarcastically, mockingly, don't be afraid, Amy, of what? A snake that will doom me? A gal that will cut my beard so I'm not strong anymore? A wager with Lucifer himself over a cool dude named Job? The list goes on. I'm just tired of it. I wrote our friend back and recommended that he take one good introductory course in the Bible so he could be introduced to the words allegory and narrative and learn to think about symbolism and to read poetry when he read these stories in the Bible. Our friend reads like too many people around the world, only literal words which too often drive people to foolish, dangerous conclusions. 
A fascinating 2015 article in the Atlantic Monthly Magazine detailed the apocalyptic vision of ISIS. God is bringing about the consummation of the world through them, just as the Quran, as they read it, says. The author says this demented version of the last things includes a prophecy that says the caliphate will have to be nearly completely annihilated before Allah wages the final great battle. So, every bomb that we drop, every Islamic warrior killed by United States troops only feeds the narrative of ISIS. It fuels the fire of their bad religion, read wrongly in the words of the Quran. As they read it, we are fulfilling the prophecy for them. We've got to learn to read the Bible. And we've got to pray that Muslims learn to read the Quran. And we need to pray that all people of faith, regardless their sacred text, find the unifying theme that is, truth be told, at the center of all religions. And that is the love and justice of God and the love of one another. Far too many people are still getting lost, making the symbolic literal and misinterpreting. Many people, like our Facebook friend, are just tired, and many have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. Religion, they say, is only crippling, harmful, irredeemable. I understand the sentiment, I feel like I'm on the front lines. I hear it. I hear it much more often than you do. Feel the barbs and the effects of bad religion much more than you. I've watched too many people walk out the door of the church for some bad reason. But I cannot let go because the cure for bad religion, the remedy for bad religion is not no religion. Religion, in some form, will always be with us. The remedy for bad religion is good religion. The week that I wrote this sermon five years ago, an, an uh, American Muslim, an academically-minded Ph.D. leader of the Islamic community in Chapel Hill, had just written in the Charlotte Observer this exact sentiment, saying that the extremist version of Islam is not Islam. And the counter for bad Islam is only good Islam. If smart people walk away from the church and the temple and the mosque, religion will not go away. You can write that down. Religion will not go away. Their absence will only make the situation worse because we will abdicate to those who remain. We will abdicate to them the leadership of one of the most powerful forces the world has ever known. The absence of intelligible, intelligible, uh, compassionate people from church will only make religion less intelligent, less compassionate. And the church that is left will not be any less enthusiastic or influential to the landscape of the culture. Religion is just too powerful a force. And that kind of church will not be any less impactful to the geopolitical future of our world. It's a frustrating day to be a thoughtful Christian. Countering the hate 
and the bigotry offered in the name of God is never-ending hard work. An 18th century cleric named Jonathan Swift noted in his very religious age, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. Our work must never end, friends. It must never end. The stakes are too high. It's too high for good people to walk away. It's a hard day for the church. And if people think they're making a difference in the world by drinking Starbucks on Sunday mornings instead of being part of a community, an alive, active, vibrant community of faith, I pray that they will think again. It is hard for individuals, comfortable and satisfied by a good latte, to change the world. That's why God called us to be together. Don't walk away, please. The only remedy for bad religion is good religion. And I believe Park Road Baptist Church offers one example of good religion. Very good religion. People who are community to one another. A church that offers welcome and affirmation. A community of faith that believes in working in its own community for children and homeless folks, for the needy. A church that puts common commitment before conformity, dialogue over doctrine, being church over being right. The church needs you, and the world needs the church. This church. We must learn to read our Bibles in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and be committed as church to changing our world, bad religion and all, with the sacrificial, undying love Jesus taught us. Good religion is the only hope we have. May it be so.